Well, it is really a privilege to be together this morning. One of the things we learn from Habakkuk is the formative power of worship, how worship forms us and worship feeds and nurtures our faith. And I have experienced that already this morning, worshiping with you all. So thank you. We are finishing the sermon series on Habakkuk, a man who helps us see, gives a witness to us of how to have faith in the midst of a season of doubt and uncertainty. So raise your hand if you have recently experienced some disappointments in life. All the hands go up, right? Raise your hand if things have not gone as planned. You've had to, I hate to use the word, but pivot, right? Raise your hand if you have experienced in this time of uncertainty a moment or perhaps a season of doubt. I, um, so we, that's been our reality, right, for the last 18 months. We've been in a prolonged season that's been filled with some doubt, some disappointment, and some uncertainty. I am living this reality recently every Sunday afternoon. My son uh, recently invited me to join his fantasy football team, his league. The problem is, is that I know very little about football, so I chose my team based on name recognition only. So I just selected the people that I know, but I'm a pretty competitive person, so I don't have a very strong team, and yet I seem to really care now what happens in football on Sundays, and so my Sunday afternoons are filled with doubt and disappointment and things not going as I planned, like Aaron Rodgers not passing to Devontae Adams as much as I would like him to, right? So, but we all know, football jokes aside, we all know that the real trouble in this season is not the football. It's not even so much the, the small changes in plans. It's the deeper doubts and disappointments that many of us have been experienced. The ones that are big and heavy, the ones that feel life-altering. It's not just the little twists and turns, but it's the twists and turns of life that have perhaps led us to places that we struggle to be in perhaps into realities that are different than what we planned or expected, perhaps spaces that feel lonely and that feel confusing and overwhelming. The trouble is not just the moment of darkness, but it's the seasons that are not just a day or a night, but go for long stretches that we're not quite certain will end. I am fairly sure, I know, that if we took time this morning to share more about our stories and the moment that we find ourselves in, we would have enough joy and celebration and beauty that would have all of us on our feet standing and cheering. But I also know that if we took time to share those stories, we would also find within our, our lives enough disappointment and sorrow and doubt and grief to render all of us silent. We hold within these lives, we hold within our life and our story, much loss, much doubt, much disappointment. And we hold within these walls many questions about the work and presence of God in a world that at many points does seem to be falling apart. So what do we do with that? First off, I want to say that if that is you this morning, you are not alone. But, and, if that is you this morning, 
Take comfort that we are not without a word and a witness that might nourish our faith and be a balm to our souls this morning. We've been looking the last few weeks at the word and witness of Habakkuk. He was a man who wrestled with God. And he wrestled with God about how to keep his faith and find hope in Jesus Christ in a world that seemed to be falling apart. This morning we're going to look at his concluding words in Habakkuk 3. Before we turn to these words, will you please join me in prayer? Jesus, we look to you to find hope. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Father, we look to you, you the one who runs to meet us wherever we are. Holy Spirit, we look to you, our comforter and our advocate. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. Give us courage to be honest and give us courage to be open to your work and your word in us and among us this morning. We pray that something would happen in us this morning that's more than thoughtful or entertaining or interesting, but that is a word from you. Because you have the words. You are the word of eternal life. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to your work in us and among us this morning, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So our passage this morning comes from the conclusion of Habakkuk's words, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights to the leader with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Though the fields yield no fruit, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. This statement that Habakkuk makes is a long way from where he began in chapter 1. In chapter 1, if you remember, Habakkuk was looking out on the circumstances of his life and his world, and he was asking God a lot of why questions. Why, God? How long, O oh Lord, must I cry out? Don't you see how everything is falling apart? Nothing is going as planned. Nothing is going as hoped. Why won't you do something? And God has some words back to Habakkuk. He says, look at the nations. Watch, be utterly amazed. God says, my word will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. And then here in chapter 3, after the exchange between Habakkuk and God, we find these closing words. Habakkuk makes a weighty statement of faith. Here at the end, he seems to push all his chips to the center of the table with these words. Even though, yet I will. Even though there is no fruit on the vines, 
Even though my circumstances have not changed, yet I will worship, yet I will trust the Lord. This is an image, you're going to see an image, of the artist Donatello's sculpture of Habakkuk. And I love this sculpture because you can almost see Habakkuk looking out on his dry and barren fields. You can almost see him looking at his empty stables. It's said that while Donatello was working on this particular statue, he would often look up at it and mutter to it, Speak, darn you, speak. And I wonder if perhaps Donatello was hoping that Habakkuk would help him understand what helped him move from why, God, to this declaration, even though, yet I will. What helped Habakkuk proclaim and trust, even though there is no evidence to the contrary, even though things are not going well, even though I continue to have questions, Yet I will trust God. Yet I will worship the God of my salvation. How was this man, how was Habakkuk able to worship, not from the mountaintop, but from the depth of the valley? What helped Habakkuk move through what is often called a dark night of the soul? St. John of the Cross was a monk who lived in the 1500s, and he was the first to call this type of season a dark night of the soul. It's a season in which the joys and comforts and certainty of Christian life are not felt, seem to be absent. It's a season full instead of darkness and uncertainty, of questions, of despair. This type of season can be brought on by or it can bring on a season of doubting. Or to use a word that we're hearing often these days, a season of deconstructing. This type of season is not new to our particular moment of history. While we might feel the weight of it, it's not new to our particular moment. It was not new to St. John of the Cross. See, we live in the reality of the now, but not yet. We're walking in a world that's still groaning towards the full redemption of the glory and reign of God. And that means that there are seasons where we are going to ask why questions. There are seasons where all we know and see seem to be empty stables and dry fields. Seasons of doubt and questioning and disappointment, uncertainty, are not novel to us in our day. And I say this not to invalidate or diminish what many of us are experiencing. I say this because I don't know about you, but that encourages me. It encourages me. It helps to remind me that God is not rattled by our wrestling. It's a reality that has faced, that many followers of Jesus have faced. It's part of the story we read in Scripture. Even in Jesus' own words who cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? The people of God have a long history of experiencing seasons of doubt and disappointment. But, and, they, we have a long history of finding the presence and hope and comfort of faith. And eventually finding the light and truth and hope of God. 
So tell us, Habakkuk, what helped you go from how long, O Lord, in your opening words to this proclamation of faith, even though, yet I will exalt in the God of my salvation. I see in his words three things. The double-fisted faith of I will. The open-handed trust that he will. And the arms raised in worship because he is. So double-fisted faith. One thing we see in Habakkuk and we see in many places in Scripture is the bold and confident claim to take God at his word. We see this in our beloved Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even though the mountains quake and the waters roar, I will say to the Lord, you are my strength and my refuge. I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Even though the fig tree does not blossom, I will rejoice in the God who is my salvation. Double-fisted faith means holding on tight to who God says he is and what God says he will do. I spoke to a mom a few weeks ago and we talked about this related to our kids. See, I believe that before I ever said yes to Jesus, Jesus is saying yes to me. I believe that the God of the universe is pursuing me and wants relationship with me, is revealing himself to me. And I believe that he is doing this with my kids. Double-fisted faith looks like holding on tight to this promise, promises like this, even in times, or perhaps especially in times when the evidence seems to be to the contrary, we grab on tight to who God says he is and what God says he is doing. For me, I had a profound sense of needing to grab on to, to God like this at the start of the pandemic. It was a very unsettling time for a lot of us. I remember vividly going to Costco and trying to buy my own round of toilet paper and the line was like snaked around the whole parking lot. Remember that? When we couldn't find toilet paper anywhere. It was a very unsettling time. And at that moment, I came across the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. And I held on tight to it. This question asks, what is our only comfort in life and in death? And it answers that I am not my own but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his very precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. This was my double-fisted faith. This is what I would wake up thinking. This is what I would go to bed at night thinking. It came to my mind in moments of doubt or worry. I am not my own, but I belong to God. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What are you grabbing onto? What are you clinging fast to about God? What are you writing on your doorposts and speaking about as you lie down and as you get up? How are you holding on tight to who God says he is and what God says he will do? This is not in vain. We hold tight to the promises of God. 
But in doing that, we also know and come to understand that to hold on tight to the promises of God means that we will ultimately also have to do this, to open our hands in trust and surrender to the mystery of the way and the work of God. We will open our hands to trust the one who says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. But to find within this surrender, within this trust, the very presence of Jesus and the way to life in him. This is what many saints have found in journeying through the dark night of the soul, that a wisdom and a maturity and a sweetness comes when we can surrender to the unknown and trust God. We hear this in the words of Peter who said, where else would we go, Lord? We don't understand everything, but we know that you have the words of eternal life. We see this idea, this open hands of surrender in the life of Mother Teresa, who chose faithfulness and trust in her own seasons of doubt. Most of us are familiar with Mother Teresa, the beloved mother who faithfully and relentlessly served Jesus and loved the poorest of the poor and marginalized in Calcutta, India. Perhaps, though, we're less familiar with her surprising witness as someone who experienced profound and extended seasons of darkness and uncertainty. Many of her journals revealed that she faced seasons of doubt and often didn't feel as close to God as we might assume and think. She wrote this in one of her journals, In my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. But here's what Mother Teresa found, and it's a sentiment shared by many other followers of Jesus who faced a dark night, perhaps something that you've experienced as well. She wrote in a letter, For the first time in these 11 years, I have come to love the darkness. For I believe now that it is a part, a very, very small part, of Jesus' darkness and pain on earth. I have come to accept it as a spiritual side of my work. Today, really, I felt a deep joy that Jesus can't go anymore through the agony, but that he wants, me to, go th- he wants to go through it in me. More than ever, I surrender myself to him. Yes, more than ever, I will be at his disposal. Perhaps you've had a similar experience as well when you faced the darkness and found Jesus there with you. You found perhaps a way to trust his way. Even when there's no evidence, even when circumstances do not change, even in the midst of doubt and disappointment and darkness, we find ourselves whispering perhaps the same words that Jesus spoke. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. We open our hands in trust. We surrender, even in our doubt, because it's the same thing we see in Jesus, a posture of surrender. And we trust that in him, we might find life. We trust that ultimately morning will come, and that while we wait for it, Jesus will wait with us. Because we can go all in, we can put our weight down, we can surrender and trust, 
Because we do that, we place our faith not in a belief, but belief in a person. We put our weight down not in an idea or an abstract hope or wishful thinking or in our own ability or our own solutions. We put our weight down on Jesus Christ, who has already said on the cross what is most true, that it is finished. Jesus has already defeated the very darkest of nights, death itself. We can grasp tight to faith. We can open our hands to the surrender to the way of Jesus because after three of the very darkest nights, morning did come. The stone was rolled away and Jesus came back to life. So we go, we go in, we put our weight down because we belong to him, because he walks with us, because he will wait with us in the night, because he's not rattled by our doubts, because he calls us his beloved. So we hold on tight with double-fisted faith, and we surrender with open hands to the mystery of his way. And ultimately, we raise our arms in worship, not because of what we get, but because of who God is. Trusting in the one who raised his arms, not in worship, but on a cross. Trusting in the one who is our salvation. At the end of Habakkuk's own wrestling, in his concluding words, he offers to us a call to worship. He sings a song. He sings a song of worship. And he sings it from the valley. But he doesn't sing it alone. It's a song that he invites others to sing as well. When he writes these words to the choir director with stringed instruments. As the people of God, we're actually instructed to worship. I asked this question when we did our summer rest series looking at spiritual disciplines. We talked about worship. And I asked somebody, um, why do, you, why, why do we worship? And somebody responded, because God tells us to. And that really struck me, and I've, I've wrestled with that. That is interesting that God instructs us to worship. Why is that? Why does God instruct us to worship? It's not because God needs us to worship him, right? Although I do believe and trust and know that God delights in our worship. But we're instructed to worship because we need to worship. Because worship forms us and reforms us. Worship reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of the God of our salvation. Worship lifts our eyes above our circumstances to a reality that is truer and broader and surer than the uncertainty we face. Worship lifts our eyes to someone greater than the disappointments we face. Worship draws us into a hope brighter than our doubt, and it opens us to the work of God. In worship, God blows on even the embers of our faith and infuses our lives with what is true about him. So you are here this morning singing this song. You are here this morning participating in these words that Habakkuk writes. Even though, yet I will praise the God of my salvation. We are here this morning singing this song. And if you are struggling this morning, 
Keep singing. And if you are struggling this morning, let us sing with you. Together we hold tight to the hope that we have in our living God. Together we open our hands and surrender to the way of Jesus, the way of life. And together we raise our arms in worship to the one who is with us on the mountaintop and who is with us in the valley. We put our weight down on what is true, that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And we, would, we belong to one another. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are good and you are good to us. Thank you that you are a firm place for us to stand. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. You are our salvation. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hold tight to our faith in you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to open our hands and to trust and surrender to you and your way. Receive, God, our worship of you. Let it transform our lives. Let it form and feed and encourage our faith. We love you, Jesus. Amen.